what an opportunity to be with you and a privilege to be with you this morning. So, from our home to your home, good morning. There's something I really love about South African winters. It's those uh, lazy Sunday afternoons, sitting on a couch close to a window, allowing the sun to shine on you. And as you enjoy the warmth of the sun, every now and then a ray of light begins to illuminate the dust particles in front of you. And it's almost like those dust particles are putting on a dance performance just for you. And so my hope and my prayer for you this morning is just as the sun warms us in winter, may God's presence and word this morning warm your spirit, comfort your soul. And just as that ray of light begins to illuminate those dust particles in front of us, may God's word illuminate the areas and things in our lives that need changing. We're starting a new series today called The Beautiful Transformation. And we're going to be spending a couple of weeks in the first book of Peter. And so before we jump into the scripture today, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about why Peter is such a fantastic example of what it means to live a transformed life. What does it mean to, or what does it look like to transform your life? And so Peter, when I think of him, I'm reminded of Miles Monroe, who would talk about seeds and say, there's a truth about the seed and there's a fact about the seed. You see, the fact about this seed is that it's small, it's brown, and it's an apple seed. Those are the facts. However, the truth is that this seed is a forest. In the right, in the right circumstances and in the right environment, this seed will become a tree. That tree will produce apples and those apples will have seeds. Those seeds will become plants that will produce apples, that will produce seeds, that will produce plants, that will produce apples, that will produce seeds. And that process goes on and on and on. And so the truth is, is that the, the potential that lies in this small little seed is unbelievable. It's mind-blowing to think that something small like this could have a massive impact in the right environment. And so when Peter looks, now when Jesus looks at Peter, he sees the same thing. He sees the fact of who Peter was, which Peter was a fisherman. He was probably uneducated. Through scripture, we see that Peter was irrational. He was emotional. And at times, Jesus would say to Peter, oh, he of little faith. Those are the facts of who Peter was. But the truth is, is that Jesus saw something far more in Peter. He would say to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus saw Peter as a leader of the early church. Jesus would see Peter as the father of our faiths in many ways. And so in 1 Peter, Jesus is writing to Gentile Christians specifically living in what we know today as modern Turkey. And he's addressing these modern day Christians or these early Christians. And he was saying to them, he calls them pilgrims. Um, and there's a reason why he calls them pilgrims. I think there are two reasons. One is because they were physically, they were pilgrims. They, they didn't have rights as citizens or residents in that region. And secondly, I think he's reminding them as new Christians that they are now pilgrims and they should never feel comfortable living on this earth. Be comfortable with modern culture. And that there should always be a little bit of discomfort as Christians living in this earthly world. And that they should have in their eyes or their, the desire to be taking up permanent residence with our Lord and Savior. And so I think that's a reminder for me and you this morning that we too are pilgrims on a journey uh, towards our permanent residence with our Father. 
Peter is uh, writing to these early Christians, uh, encouraging them, instructing them how to live Christ-centered lives uh, in difficult circumstances. Isn't God's word amazing that even uh, a word for early Christians is relevant for us 2,000 years later? And so how do we live Christ-centered lives in the unprecedented, unfamiliar, um, unknown world that we find ourselves in now? And so let's pick up the scripture this morning, the reading from 1 Peter. I'm reading from 1 Peter 1, 13 um, and, uh, to verse 16. And so we're going to pick up from verse 13 in a sec. Um, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Father, we want to thank you this morning for your word. We want to thank you that your word is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. Father, we want to thank you that in uncertain times, your word is certain. We want to thank you, Lord, that when we don't know where to turn to, we can turn to your word for guidance. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us in particular ways, in, in personal ways and in practical ways, Lord. Father, won't you comfort us and won't you guide us this morning as we spend time unpacking your word together? We ask this in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When we speak about transformation, we often use the metaphor of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Now we need to be very clear that a butterfly is not merely a caterpillar with butterfly wings attached onto it. Those two insects, even though they're the same creature, are completely different. There's no similarity between the two. And so the same for me and you, that when we become Christians, there is a new man. The old has gone and the new has come. And there shouldn't be any similarity between who we were and who we are now and who we are becoming. And so Peter is going to give us some instructions this morning as to how do we live as new creations? How do we think? How should we act? And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to indulge and dive into what that means. So this morning, Peter says, first thing we need to do is we need to gird our minds. The King James Version puts it this way. Therefore, gird up the robes of your minds. So during those days, men would wear robes. And what they would need to do is they would need to gird up their robes if they didn't want to get caught on obstacles, if they wanted to move around freely. And so Peter is reminding us this morning that we need to gird up our robes, that we shouldn't get hooked on modern thinking. We shouldn't get hooked on a debate around what is right and what is wrong. We should not get our minds hooked on fear and things that would distract us from living Christ-centered lives. I must be honest, leading up to the lockdown, when I heard our president in South Africa say that we're going into lockdown, my mind got hooked. I wasn't girding up the robes of my mind. My mind was hooked on uh, what's going to happen to my finances. My mind got hooked on what's going to happen to our children's education. My mind got hooked on how is this lockdown going to affect millions of South Africans. 
I think I was reminded about the monsters when you were little. I don't know if you were ever had a monster in your cupboard or under your bed or just outside your room and what advice you were given to deal with those monsters. I know some of us were given the advice of closing our eyes, counting to 10 and the monster would be gone. Have you changed or has your monsters changed? I know for me, my monsters have definitely changed. My monsters are no longer these hairy, one-eyed, four-legged things that live under a bed or just outside my room. My monsters now are, are things like financial pressure, addiction, um, depression, sickness. Um, those are my monsters now. And in 2020, uh, we have a monster that we're all dealing with now. And that is the monster of COVID-19 and the impact that that has had on us. And so I'm not sure dealing with this monster or those monsters that are real for us uh, like we did when we were six years old by closing our eyes, counting to 10. Um, I think I can guarantee you now that if you do that, when you open your eyes, those monsters are going to be closer to you and bigger than ever before. And so Peter says that if we need to deal with how we're going to engage as Christians, we need to gird up our loins, um, our, our robes. And... Um, and so I love the way the message puts it. It says, roll up your sleeves and put your mind into gear. And so for me, putting my mind into gear was first gear was resting on God's word. God's word is gear number one in my mind if I'm going to get ready for action. And particularly in these times, God's word has acted as a counterbalance to the negativity that I'm seeing in the news, the negativity I'm seeing in social media, the negativity I engage with some friends and family. God's word is a counterbalance, a hope when I have all that negativity next to me. Gear number two in many ways would be the people that I surrounded myself with during this time and just during, during, during my journey as a Christian. It is fundamentally important to surround yourself with people that can hold you accountable people that can encourage you, people that can give you hope, and people that can journey with you on this journey. I've been so grateful for the 11 men that I pray with uh, on a weekly basis, that we meet in our connect groups. A week one we pray, second week we share life with one another. And what I'm noticing with my non-Christian friends at this time is that they are so disillusioned at this moment. They are so hopeless and so uh, feeling hopeless in these circumstances. And so what I'm finding is, is that I, because I've surrounded myself with these amazing men and women in my lives, I'm able to be a little bit more hopeful because I know that I'm not alone on this journey. The third thing that I needed to do, if you want to say gear number three, is that I've needed to create a space in my mind to say I'm entering into a space of growth. And I need to create the space of growth. I need, to, I need to stretch myself in many ways. And so, to be honest, even doing this with you today is such a growth area for me. So uncomfortable to do this. But yet we need to create the space for that. And so those are some of the things that I've needed to do to stretch myself. But verse 13 is not done because verse 13 says that once you've girded up the robes of your mind, you need to, uh, you need to be sober in your thinking. And what does it mean to be sober? And you're thinking, well, why does Peter use this word sober? I think when, when we think about Christians, many of us as Christians um, can become drunk in our hope. Disillusioned, if you want to call it, in hope. Um, that we become paralyzed with the hope that sometimes that we have. And so uh, Peter says we need to be sober in our thinking. I'm reminded of General Stockdale, who was a prisoner of war for seven years during the Vietnam War. 
And when he came out, people used to ask him, General Stockdale, who made it and who never made it? And he said, oh, the answer to that is very easy. It is the optimists that never made it. And I heard that for the first time. I said, what do you mean the optimists? I always thought that we needed to think, we needed to um, be positive in our thinking. And um, he would say this, you see, the optimists would say, um, in Easter, the wall will be done and we'll be out of here, we'll be safe with our families. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then the optimists would say, oh no, by Thanksgiving, we will be out of here, we would have made it, we would, the war would have been won and we'll be home. And Thanksgiving would come and Thanksgiving would go. And then the optimists would say, oh no, by Christmas, we would have won the war, we'll be safe home with our families. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And the optimists would die of a broken heart. You see, General Stockdale said, you have to confront the brutal facts, no matter how difficult they are. And so during these times, we need to confront the brutal facts, no matter how difficult they are. But at the same time, we need to see what verse 13 says, because verse 13 is not done. It's like a salesman. It keeps on giving, right? Because verse 13 says, set your hope completely on the grace brought to you at the revelation of Christ. And so on the other hand, we need to have this hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And on this hand, we need to confront the brutal facts. And when we hold those two concepts in tension, we are able to think more soberly. Uh, in these circumstances. In fact, uh, Pastor Sai reminded me earlier this week about um, uh, Abraham, who confronted the brutal facts of his age uh, around having children, that he was old, and the possibility of having children was really impossible at his, at his age and his Sarah's age. But yet, he relied on the promises that God had, and so he never gave up hope that God would come through on his promises. And so uh, often we think these principles we hear in business are new, but they're all in the word of God. And so to think soberly, remember, confront the brutal facts, but yet hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The second thing that Peter says we need to do is we need to guard our thinking. Do not be conformed to the evil desires we had when we lived in our ignorance. That's verse 14. And so we must prevent our old way of thinking from penetrating where we are today. And so that old way of thinking at best will distract us. At worst, it will destroy us. Think about the children of Israel once they escaped from Egypt and now we're wandering around in the desert. If you were with them, you would often hear them murmuring things like this. Oh, at least in Egypt we had, or at least in Egypt we could, or at least in Egypt we had this, that, and the next thing. And so the, peop the people of Israel were constantly looking back at Egypt, but not looking back and saying, look how good God was, how he delivered us to where we are now. They weren't looking back to say, what are the lessons we can learn from those days? No, they were looking back to go back to those, that place, longing to go back to the old way of doing things. And that is never a good idea. In fact, there are some South Africans that come to me and say to me, you know, the good old days when we were in South Africa, the old South Africa, at least we could have, at least this worked, at least this, at least that. And I need to remind us that some of us were living in sin during those days. Most of us were living in slavery and none of those circumstances are pleasing to God in any way. In fact, in Luke 17, 32, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. And when he talks to us about remembering Lot's wife, he's telling us, what can we learn from Lot's wife in terms of looking back? 
And so the first thing we need to understand about when we think about Lot's wife is that when the angel of the Lord came to Lot's family and said that you need to escape Sodom and Gomorrah, we are going to destroy it. You need to run to safety. The family left and they were running. Um, the scripture is very clear that Lot's wife lagged behind the rest of the family. And so the first lesson is this morning, we should not lag behind in our wanting to get closer to Jesus. We should not lag behind in our thinking that our Savior will change us or save us. And so we need to run quickly, fast as you can, into the arms of Jesus this morning. So don't lag behind in your thinking. Run as quickly as you can to your Savior. The second thing we learn from Lot's wife is that she couldn't trust God or obey God's divine word. And so the angel said to them, we're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Run, do not look back. But Lot's wife looked back. The question is, why did she look back? Maybe she was looking back to things she loved. Maybe she was looking back to things that were familiar to her. Maybe she was looking back for comfort. Maybe she was looking back that that's where her provision was. And she turned to a pillar of salt. This morning, friends, we should not be looking anywhere but to Jesus to fulfill every area of our lives. We should look to Jesus for our safety. We should look to Jesus for our comfort. We should look to Jesus, our God and Savior, for our salvation. And, and Jesus should, should become our new familiar. The last thing we learn about Lot's wife, or the third thing we learn about Lot's wife, is that she almost made it. The scripture says, Doom befell her at the gates of Zah, which tells me that she was close to her salvation. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to let you know that you are closer than what you think to the answer to your prayer. You are closer than what you think to your salvation. Your answer, the thing that you've been waiting for, is closer than what you think. And so don't give up. Bekazela, uh, Bambalela, Fasbet, do hold on. Don't give up because we cannot change the past. We really do not know what the future holds for us. The only thing we really have control over is the right now, the presence, where we find ourselves now. And how we live now is really important in terms of how that sets us up for the future. And so the third thing Peter tells us is how to live not right now, how to live in the present or how to think in the present. And he says we need to guide our thinking and we are prompted to live holy lives. We are to be holy as the one that has saved us is holy. And this call to holiness is not so much about moral purity, but more about God calling us to be like him. And so Jesus right now is inviting me and you to be part of his story. Nothing will shape your life more than the story you believe yourself to be part of. I don't know if you remember that fairy tale about the chicken where the acorn fell on its head, chicken little. And uh, this little chicken was so consumed that the sky was falling that he lost all sight of everything that was happening around him and eventually ended up in the belly of, of a fox. And so what is the story that consumes you right now? Because remember David and Goliath. When David arrives at the battlefield to give meal, a meal to his brothers, the story that consumes David is that he serves a living God, a God that can save him, that can rescue him, and that is on his side. The rest of the Israel army that were facing the Philistines at the time had a very different narrative happening. They were part of a very different story, a story of fear, a story of uncertainty, a fear that the Philistines were going to take them out. 
Maybe one more example before I move on from this, and it's a, a story from the wild. It's, um, at the moment, it's rutting season uh, for impalas, and so male impalas are completely consumed by keeping the harem of females together and keeping other male impalas out. They are so consumed by the story, uh, by this, this, this thing that's happening to them, that they're forgetting to eat, they're forgetting to groom, and they're not even picking up the cues about what's happening around them. And so what you find is male impalas are becoming prey uh, to predators around them. And so what is the story that is, con that is, that is consuming you right now? Is it the same as the, the Israelites on that battlefield, that you are consumed by fear? Are you consumed by the uncertainty of what's going to happen? Are you consumed by just the overwhelming negativity that's around us? Or are you, or are, and it doesn't have to be that way. Because this morning, God is inviting each and every one of us to be part of His story. To be consumed by God's story this morning. And God's story is a story that is abounding in love. Abounding in life. Abounding in faithfulness, kindness, and creativity. There's an amazing grace that, that's waiting for me and you as we enter into the story. And so I hope this morning you can enter into the story of God. And when I was preparing for this, I was really uh, thinking about how do I, as a sinful person, as a sinful person, uh, live a holy life? And it's, my realization is that it's only through the work on the cross and only through me accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior that I can enter into God's story and be part of this holy story. And it's only when I am attuned to the guiding of the Holy Spirit that I can live a life that is pleasing to God. And so this morning we are all called to live a transformed life. We are all called to live a holy life. And this holy life is everywhere. So whether it's cutting hair, which I desperately need, or cutting grass like I do on a weekly basis, or cutting deals that I hope that each and every one of you get to do soon again. We need to live holy, transformed lives. And so friends, the fact is that we are sinners. The fact is that we've all fallen short of the grace and glory and the standard that God has set for us. But the truth is that in Jesus and the work on the cross, we can live a life of abundance. We can live a life that is different to what we've known to, to date. And so there's a call of action for two groups of people today. The first group of people are the people that have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The group of people that have entered into the story of God. And my challenge for you is to live lives that, are, are, that you're girding your, your, the robes of your mind. That you are guarding uh, the way that you think and that you're guiding the way that you think and that each and every one of us that are on this journey that we get an opportunity this week my challenge to you is uh, share your faith with somebody share with somebody that doesn't understand why you're so hopeful share why you're so hopeful whether it's with your friends your family your business colleagues on the next skype call why are you so hopeful and it's because we've embraced the truth of who god is the second group of people is a group of people that haven't accepted the invite to be part of God's story, who haven't accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I want to give you an opportunity today to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to give you an opportunity today to enter into the story of God. 
And so if you want to do that, if you want to be part of God's story, don't you want to, can I pray with you? Can you repeat this prayer after me? Because as we confess Jesus as Lord, it's as simple as that, he, he becomes our Lord and Savior. And so pray this prayer with me if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Dear Lord Jesus, please forgive me for my sins. I understand that I am far from you. Will you come close to me today? Will you become a resident in my heart? Will you forgive me of all the sins that I have ever had in my life? Will you become my Lord and Savior? I confess this morning that you will clean, cleanse me. I confess this morning that you are my Lord and my Savior. Will you guide me? Will you help me? Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity that we had to be in your word this morning. Father, I pray that you be with us as we go our way this week. Amen. Folks, it's been wonderful to be with you in your homes. I hope that you have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. And from our home to your home, goodbye.